Hello and welcome to Say That Again Slowly, Cambridge Festival podcast where students at Cambridge University chat with the experts who have contributed to the festival. We try to pair up students with researchers and authors from very different disciplines to bring things back to the basics, so there are no stupid questions here. My name is Scarlett Croft and I'm a third year English student taking special papers in the medieval supernatural and visual culture. Today, I'll be interviewing Stephanie Ullman, who is doing a talk called Counter Speech and its Potential to Fight Online Hate or Misinformation, which is an online event that will be from 4 to 5 p.m. on the 4th of April. Um, so to begin with, Stephanie, please may you introduce yourself. And Yeah, great. Thanks, Scarlett. Um, so my name is Stephanie. I am a postdoctoral research associate at um, CRASH, the Centre for Research in the Arts, Social Sciences and Humanities. And specifically, I work um, for a project called Giving Voice to Digital Democracies, where we are interested in the social and ethical implications of language-based artificial intelligence. Wow, sounds amazing. Um, and so the talk itself is about counter-speech. So just starting at the very beginning, what exactly is counter-speech and how would you define it? How do you define it in your work? Um, so counter-speech, um, I guess the official definition would be um, counter-speech is any kind of direct response to hateful or harmful speech, which mm -hmm. seeks to undermine it. That's how the Dangerous Speech Project um, defines it, uh, which is a, um, a group of people, researchers who have done a lot on this, on this subject. Um, it essentially goes back to the idea of more speech and good speech um, is a better way of fighting um, harmful speech or evil speech. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many different <laughs> labels yeah. for it. But better speech, more speech is better than censorship, essentially. So okay. deleting it, blocking content um, is seen as not as effectful as countering it with, with more speech. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess another kind of basic question, which I think we kind of all understand what it means, but it might be useful just to think about a bit more. Um, so what would you you say constitutes online harm? And perhaps is there a difference between that and hate speech? I would say hate speech is kind of the most prominent term that kind of means most to the public, I suppose. Yeah. Um, essentially, um, harmful speech or hate speech also, there have been different labels, toxic speech, dangerous speech. There's any kind of a form of expression that can be text, that can be video, images, but any kind of form of expression that has the potential to incite violence or aggression against another person or a group of people. And um, mostly that is based on specific characteristics of that person or a group of people like age, gender, sexual orientation, nationality, and things like that. Yeah, so I guess you've already spoken about this briefly um, when you said uh, more speech is preferable to censorship. But I suppose, is there anything else you'd like to add about why counter speech is a preferable approach? Um, I guess thinking specifically about who censorship often targets. Um, yeah, I wonder if you have anything, any thoughts on that? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, I would say what makes counter speech particularly valuable is um, the potential it has to reach online bystanders or people who are just observing, following a conversation, not necessarily the perpetrators themselves. Um, I think it's in most cases really unlikely that someone is going to change their mind upon yeah. reading a counter speech comment and say, oh yes, I'm, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I apologize. Yeah. That is not necessarily the goal. I think the advantage, the biggest advantage of, of counter speech is, um, well, I suppose twofold. Um, on the one hand, it will be showing affiliation with the victim, making them feel less alone. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it will be, there are always people following the conversation and maybe people who are kind of on the brink of becoming perpetrators themselves mm -hmm. um, and kind of stopping those people or doing, saying something that could potentially keep them from becoming perpetrators. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, yeah, that is something yeah. that I would say censorship, deleting a comment does not necessarily. Can't do. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess this is just thinking about how that actually happens um, in terms of both um, if people are kind of providing the counter speech or whether counter speech can become an automated response and if so um just how that works um and what kind of data it processes in order to kind of work out what is hateful or not um yeah um that wasn't really a question that was more of a, a statement but um any responses yeah, there, there are lots of, uh, of questions or potential areas in that in that comment, actually. Um, I guess the first thing um, to address would be maybe to talk about what what could counter speech look like or like what is the the basis. Um, so counter speech, there are different types of techniques um, that people can use um, and what has been observed so far by just users on social media like Twitter, Facebook. Um, so it might just be pointing out that someone has been misrepresenting something that a fact has been made that is not true. Mm -hmm. um, just pointing that out and also maybe specifically pointing out that what someone said is hurtful. Yeah. And it's potentially racist or sexist. Like mm -hmm. it might actually be the case that someone is not aware, and then just saying, "Hey, what you just said is extremely hurtful," um, yeah. can already be can already be helpful. Um, in a lot of contexts, humorous responses seem to work really well. Yeah, like even combine that with an image, turn it into a meme, and yeah, uh, I've seen some <laughs> some. Some nice memes um, or one that shows like a bird that has kind of like a closed beak. And then it, it basically said on the image, um, please stop tweeting, Mr. Yeah. <laughs> that's so basically, that's a, that's a nice and not too, um, I guess, aggressive way of saying, please shut up. Yeah, definitely. So, yes. Yeah, so these kinds of things have been found to work really well. Mm -hmm. Whereas aggressive behavior, maybe insulting someone back would just 
contribute further to escalating a situation so yeah definitely yeah that makes sense I guess um I guess what I'm wondering is I was just doing some reading around the subject and I saw something about a like hey Tom and hey tomato or something um which sounded um slightly strange to me um but I guess could work um and I was just wondering if like what would that mean as in would someone get a notification saying that something hateful has come up like on their profile or um would there be like a pre-warning um I'm just wondering how also what it would feel like to receive that notification on top of the speech I guess it's kind of affirming because if you think that something is being said um that is sexist for instance um and you already have the platform confirming that that thing is being sexist then a lot of those doubts about um you perhaps being overly worried about something are confirmed but yeah I was just thinking about what that actually might look like for the user and kind of the interface of the program um yeah, that, that's a really, really good point. Um, the the hate-o-meter or hate-o-meter, or we kind of suggested that in context of quarantining online hate speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that could be combined with counter-speech. It doesn't necessarily have to. But that is, yeah, that is also a way of, of letting people know um, straight away what you're typing here, what you're posting, what you want to post. Um, could potentially be hateful. So are you really sure you want to do this? So that will be the first step, asking Mm -hmm. someone who is composing a comment, are you sure you want to post this? But then also kind of adding an additional layer of protection for all the other users who might be um, reading this or might be the direct recipients of of a message. Putting a message automatically in quarantine like you would with a computer virus, for example, and asking the the user, do you actually want to see this? This could be hate speech. This could be sexist, racist. Mm -hmm. So that the user has the option, no, I don't want to look at this. I want to delete it straight away. Yeah, yeah, that's also a way of avoiding the kind of issue of censorship and blocking people and deleting content yeah that definitely makes sense especially if it's then feels like it's more up to the user rather than the program itself is deciding everything arbitrarily um so i guess i was thinking about um you spoke a bit in an article about kind of biases and you were talking about um in this context, you were talking about, I believe, um, kind of the gender of artificial intelligence and the issue of gendered language. Um, so I guess I was just thinking about how we can make sure um, uh, an approach like this doesn't kind of reinforce the biases that we already have. Um, obviously, it's it's coming from a very different place than censorship in terms of it's trying, well, perhaps it initially, it could seem like it was coming from quite a similar place because censorship kind of, I'm thinking about the things that are censored on Instagram 
um, a lot of accounts of like, um, for example, I follow a page about um, disabled woman who talks about her experiences um, and a lot of her content gets censored. And I was just thinking, so Instagram is saying that it goes against the community guidelines. How do we make sure a program like this or doesn't kind of reinforce those ideas of kind of protecting the community, which actually means kind of othering some people from the community, if that makes sense? Or do you think that that is a slightly separate issue from what you are talking about here? Um, no, not at all. I think it's very, very connected and a really good point. I guess that's kind of a, the bias issue is something that um, affects all different kinds of, of online content. Um, so I think like images would be a bit more difficult. I can speak more about text really. Yeah. But in context, it would really, I would say it's impossible to get rid of all biases. Um, and that, in my opinion, shouldn't necessarily be the goal, but um, yeah. there is a lot we can do and it all comes down really to what we choose um, form, in the form of data, what we choose in order to train an AI system. Yeah. In a lot of these, um, in a lot of these examples, um, systems are trained on just billions of words and parameters that have, been, have just been scraped from the internet. Yeah. Of course, the internet itself is not a very balanced and just place, yeah. but there are a lot of biases, of course. Um, so I think a lot of attention should be paid on selecting and preparing the actual training data. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That is an, in an, in, an inevitable step. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then of course, I mean, you can't really guarantee that something will, or that something won't be, no, let me rephrase this. So you can't really guarantee that everything that gets flagged up is truly um, hate speech. Because, yeah. Uh, sarcasm, for example, is a really difficult um, yeah expression for an AI system to to recognize correctly so yeah definitely false positives for sure but yeah yeah okay your question yeah no yeah it definitely did yeah that really that's really helpful so I was just I guess I was wondering if you have seen any idealized or ideal ways or programs that kind of get this balance right or is it kind of too much in the blueprint at the moment that you haven't really seen it actually in practice? Um, with regard to, to counter-speech or...? Um, yeah, with regards to counter-speech, I guess, I mean, in some ways we see counter-speech online all the time. Um, but I was wondering if there was any like specific programme that you think manages it well or, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I think humans do it really well, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's um, place. They, yeah, I definitely see a lot of examples generated by humans. And even if you look at at hashtag campaigns like Me Too or Black Lives Matter, that's a form of counter speech as well. Yeah. And that 
been done really well, but essentially by humans. Um, and I think that so, so far, I would say there's definitely no program or AI system that can really do it well. We've been kind of working together with students from the engineering department um, to kind of improve systems a little bit to produce counter speech automatically, but it, it's a really tricky task. It's um, hate speech detection is already difficult, but at, and thankfully there's a lot that has been done in recent years. But counter speech is really difficult because it takes so much context and so like lengthy conversations that you sometimes need to have with people to yeah. really have some kind of effect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the good thing is there are definitely, even in my daily life, when I scroll through Instagram, um, I see people responding really well to to harmful content, which I think is 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 a good thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and also maybe if I can just add this, I don't think that um, like an AI system should necessarily replace what humans do in that no. context. Um, because humans are so much better doing it. Yeah. And the nuances better. Um, but I think that an AI system can, can assist, especially people who do this professionally or, you know, voluntarily um, for certain campaigns and, and activists who do this, because it can be a really laborious. Yeah. Yeah. Lonely process. And I think it can, um, Technology can certainly assist humans and maybe doing it more effectively and spreading the message more and wider. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to acknowledge that also it's it's a valuable thing for humans to be able to engage in that discourse and doing it online isn't it's just kind of part of our lives. Like it's not really any different to if we were kind of countering. And that technology can help kind of amplify and direct the conversation in hopefully a more constructive way than it might have done. I was also just wondering about, yeah, how you came about kind of this topic as itself as well. Um, the topic counter speech has been kind of on my mind, I guess, and kind of following my work for almost two years. I think that was the first time we started like within the project started talking about this and noticing a lot of uh, emerging research and we thought it was really interesting yeah. um, and then we hosted a a workshop actually last September I organized a workshop on counter speech um, bringing together lots of people from different from different research fields like um, law and social sciences and anthropology, mathematics, computer science. Um, and it felt really like such an important um, and timely subject. Um, but I also kind of feel like people who are not necessarily working on this every day or regularly uh, might, yeah. not, might not be too familiar with what the concept of counter speech actually is. Um, and so I thought it would be an interesting talk to give at the Cambridge Festival because it it reaches so many different people and um, you know if someone takes something away um, from it and thinks oh I can do this as well that would be yeah, yeah. Thing. 
happening. Yeah, for sure. I feel like it's something that everyone might inadvertently kind of know what it is, but not kind of the precise meaning of it. as soon as you started kind of explaining it more it makes it makes perfect sense in terms of the experiences that I've had online um I guess I was thinking about um I just can't remember the word um oh yeah I was thinking about the kind of concept of echo chambers and how that kind of works in terms of counter speech whether or not it kind of makes echo chambers more amplified um, or whether it could be a way of kind of ensuring that I guess if we have the idea of like two echo chambers that are separate actually interact um, particularly in the case of maybe human counter speech Um, so yeah I I just wondered if you had any thoughts on kind of how counter speech might be valuable or might be a problem for echo chambers Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think what the ultimate goal would be is to break into the echo chambers and kind of disrupt them because that's the whole problem that you kind of get sucked into um, more and more of content that is not necessarily good for you or for yeah. others, um, depending on, I mean, but successful counter speech might be a way of kind of disrupting um, those echo echo chambers and um, kind of preventing maybe things like polarization, radicalization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a bit similar to what I said earlier is like reaching those people who are maybe at the moment in a vulnerable state and are kind of um, at risk of being becoming radicalized or kind of being sucked into an echo chamber that is going to going to lead to some extremist ideas and behaviors and I think if counter speech is used strategically well it can kind of intersect there and kind of prevent that from happening of course not in in very extreme cases where someone is just oblivious to um, other options yeah. yeah Yeah, no, that seems like a good, definitely a good way of thinking about it. I guess I was just thinking about, obviously there are some things which are beyond counter-speech's control. Um, But actually, just I was thinking about the way that advertising interacts with kind of what you search up and things like that. So in a way, counter-speech can be productive in kind of regulating what people are looking at to a certain extent and therefore also kind of hopefully I guess the idea is that you might possibly get less advertising for kind of extreme things or even not extreme things but harmful difficult things um, I don't know if that's something that you've been thinking about at all or have you talked yeah, that's a yeah that's a good point um I would say because obviously the big problem with these echo chambers and um, social media in general, I guess, are feed algorithms that just, yeah. you know, whatever your preferences are, you're just going to get more of it. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that's in the hands of whoever is in charge of these companies. Mm. Um, so that's a problem. So um, 
ideally it would be in the interest of these companies as well to deploy more counter strategies to avoid radicalization, to avoid um, the formation of echo chambers. But of course there are financial benefits to these companies. But yeah. I mean, at least I can think of one good example that kind of happened um, during the pandemic that Facebook um, decided to use and that was redirect searches. So whenever okay. users search for something um, about COVID-19, they would be like the first search results would be credible sources like the World Health Organization or whatever is your national health ministry. Yeah. Kind of direct users away from conspiracy theories and um, questionable sources. So that's, it's definitely, we can see it's possible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they just need um, that kind of motivation yeah. that company. It needs to be done by the people in power, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I remember even, um, well, they still, they, Facebook still, anytime you talk about anything related to COVID, they still put up little kind of notification, quite good. And yeah. also, I remember, um, like, if you were, like, planning an event or something, they make, they would say, I think there was a period where you couldn't host events unless they were online. So it's just a way of like redirecting people, <laughs> very like not even very subtly, but being like, yeah, you can't really do that. But yeah. Um, Tell me a bit about your thoughts about how um, automated uh, devices like Alexa should respond if a human engages in hateful speech towards that device. And I guess what are the ethical dimensions of that situation mm -hmm. yeah so that's um that's actually kind of a really recent approach that ha that has emerged kind of um from from counter speech research is the question or looking at virtual personal agents like siri or alexa mm -hmm. which get which also get abused quite regularly yeah um, that has spiked especially um during the pandemic people getting increasingly frustrated and just lashing out at their at their yeah. digital assistants um and of course alexa theory they're not humans but it, it kind of begs the question how should these systems respond to those to those forms of abuse or hate mm -hmm. hateful speech because it kind of if you talk for two years um in a really abusive way to your digital agent what does that actually do to you when you go yeah. back to the real world yeah and so for I'm example thinking as well of um like in the car like when it gives you directions and like yeah. whenever i'm like driving someone gets really angry at the person who is speaking who is telling you to like turn around like that's such a classic comedy sketch like, yeah just made it really normal to get really angry um, yeah and yeah. it's we kind of we noticed that this is an emerging problem when we talked to to researchers who work for amazon alexa and are working on on a programming alexa and her response mm -hmm. her yeah. saying her with parentheses um yeah. but how should how how relaxed alexa should actually respond and they're kind of um unsure 
how, like, what kind of counter speech should Alexa use? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think we're kind of in a transition phase at the moment. I think um, at the very beginning, Siri, for example, whenever she was, whenever she received kind of a sexist comment, she would, she would answer in a way like, um, oh, you're making, I would blush if I could, I think was the line that Siri yeah. used. Yeah. Which is of course not an ideal. No. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of makes you, it just shows you all the dimensions of, of technology and in our lives intersecting even more and kind of makes you wonder how we should think about or rethink communication with, with um, automated systems. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with my friend who was saying, um, we went to a lecture, which is about how um, all of these devices are kind of coded female and how um, obviously you kind of brought that up. Um, but just thinking about what it means in terms of um, kind of discourses about speaking to women and how we address mm-hmm. technology as kind of coded female in some in some areas, but not others. Um, particularly in, uh, I guess, Alexa, things like that, in a very domestic setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and like a fa- where like a lot of family might be around. It's just, yeah, um, I think what you said about how we address and kind of normalize those just like horrible ways of speaking. Yeah, I think that was really interesting. Um, And what kind of counter speech the device might be able to actually pull up itself. Um, Yeah, I think it's a difficult, it's it's a real problem for for these companies because mm -hmm. they have idea of Alexa or Siri have to they have a, a whole persona that has been designed around them. Yeah. Whatever kind of language they use has to fit with that persona, but it also has to kind of meet the demands of, of customers and users. Mm. So finding that right balance, I think, is, is really tricky. And yeah, also kind definitely. of that that um, yeah, people working for these companies should should talk more to people who are actually studying like, social science. Yeah. yeah, so there needs to be more of a kind of crossover otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was really, really interesting. I was thinking as well, this is just a slight divergent, but it used to be like, I remember when Siri was first developed, it used to be like very like funny and kind of ironic to speak. And like a big thing at my school was asking Siri to like, marry you like countless times and actually (laughs) now we've kind of got to a stage where it's more normal I think where the kind of irony of speaking to your device I don't think it's I don't think it will ever rub off completely but yeah it's just interesting to think how these conversations have already changed so quickly because technology is also developing really quickly which is which is good I would say kind of reflects um, I mean, languages change the way that we yeah. communicate change. So, of course, the technologies that we use should ideally also change. Yeah, 100%. 100%.
yeah well thank you so much um thank you so much conversation um so yeah please do come along to stephanie's talk um which will be on from 4 to 5 p.m 4th april online and make sure to follow the cambridge festival on facebook twitter and instagram for more fascinating events